I got to hit the magic <laughs> button first. The magic button. Talk sheen. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scuba Obsessed episode 282 is recorded live May 19th, 2016. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the southwest side of the great state of Michigan where it is undeniably diving season. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I am doing fine and glad to be here. And I understand that you were out just before this very podcast getting some diving in. That is correct. We got out about sunset, went out to eat, of course. And now I'm back here. Excellent. Well, let's go ahead and get the news out of the way. So we're going to jump right on into the news. We're recording a little bit late to account for diving, which will always take precedence. It's a nice uh, spring evening. It's a full moon. It's great out there. Uh, This is a great time for a night dive. I was going to say a night dive or night jump. It's a jumper's moon. (laughs) Yes. A bomber's moon. That's you could do that. Or combine the two together, do a jump and a dive. Absolutely. Well, this first one's almost a little bit of a downer story. I, I guess it depends on which side of the story you're on. The mystery of two missing coins worth $46,000 ends in arrest. A Key West man who until April is a top assistant to treasure hunting Air Kim Fisher stole two coins valued at $46,000 from his bosses and tried to sell them to a California dealer he found on eBay. This is according to police. Joe Sweeney, 55, was arrested Friday night, a felony theft charge after an investigation began in April into two Escundo coins that went missing two years ago from the fourth floor office of Mel Fisher's Maritime Museum, 200 Green Street. That office belonged to Lee Fisher, chief executive of the museum and married to Kim Fisher and son of the late Salver uh, Mel Fisher and CEO of various Mel Fisher family enterprises. Lee Fisher didn't file a pre-support in 2014 because she didn't want any negative publicity and believed the coins would surface the market at some point, according to police reports obtained Monday by Keys InfoNet. Three minutes after being booked in the Stock Island jail, Sweeney had posted a $50,000 bond and was released, according to jail records. Sweeney told police he bought the coins from someone he wouldn't identify at a bar in Key West, and that Kim Fisher was with him and offered the coins first but declined, a story Fisher denies to detectives. Fisher called police to her home April 1st to report a California dealer named Joe Bissell had phoned the museum asking about two missing coins and a certification number after recognizing the shipwrecked pieces as stolen, police said. Bissell told police he had received two coins and a gold piece at four and a gold piece of eight in the mail from Joe Sweeney in Key West to appraise and possibly buy. Sweeney found Bissell's company on eBay, police said. On April 4th, Sweeney, a longtime employee of the Fishers, resigned without any notice. Sweeney's home home address is one of the shipyard's condominiums. And we don't need to tell the address, and it goes on. 
Fisher said she last saw the coin at her office desk June 9th, 2014. Yeah. Somebody thought they'd get away with something. Well, that's a lot of bread for two coins. I mean, you could have melted it down and they'd never know, but then you'd only get about, what, 1200 bucks for the gold? Yeah. It was an ounce and a piece of eight, that's silver. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get much. Silver's cheap. 46000 huh? Yeah. So he res- I'm trying to put together the timeline. So on April 4th, he resigned. When did they arrest him? Well, I said She Friday called the, to her home on April 1st, report that a dealer had phoned. So, yeah, that kind of uh, caught him. It's, it's, it's a shame. Well, I guess it's people look... It's interesting. They, they were... But, purchaser was able to determine it was stolen mm-hmm. if he I think he must have mentioned that he got the coins from Fisher because they owed him money if he hadn't said that he might have got away with it well I think part, he wouldn't have a, I think part of it is he was trying to use that provenance to increase the value and just hope somebody would be lazy crime does not pay no you in this pay. case day 18. Yeah. And didn't we have like Noah's been dead that many years though. Damn. No, he didn't I didn't re- realize he had been gone that long either. Uh Thailand uh, closes the uh, Samoans Islands to divers and other tourists. Thailand has closed Kosh uh gosh, how do you pronounce this? Uh Taki, Tashi? T A C H A I. An island north of the uh, Similins to tourists and divers, uh, according to the Bangkok Post. The closure is part of a plan to manage the marine resources of the Andaman Sea, which is west of Thailand. All 17 marine national parks in the sea will be closed from next Monday to Saturday, October 15th, during monsoon season. That's over 60% of the coral reefs, but even after the rest reopen, uh, Kai uh, Toshi will remain off limits. We have to close it to allow for the uh, rehabilitation of the environment, both on the island and the sea, without being disturbed by tourism activities before the damage is beyond repair. Uh, this according to the, the Director General of the Department of National Parks, Wildlife, and Plant Conservation. Uh, Professor Thon, and I'm not even going to attempt that name, of uh, Kesset Start, University told the Post the preserve is a primitive zone, not a tourist site. A beach on the island can hold up to 70 people, but sometimes the number of tourists is well over 1,000 on the beach, which is already crowded with food stalls and tour boats. This caused the island to quickly deteriorate. It is not closed now. We'll lose it permanently. I bet all the di- I bet everything over there is great diving. Seems like it's coming into its own at this time. In the last thirty years, people have been going there because it was pristine, and now it's a, a diving spot. Well, uh, the, a lot of the big dive schools are are over there. They run a lot of students through. That's where we see the advertisements for zero to hero type of programs. Yeah. Well. 
and a scuba diver has turned to trafficking in marijuana. After a man's career as a scuba diving instructor ended, he turned to dealing drugs. Jason Bruce Gilham, 34, pleaded guilty to district court in McKay this morning to trafficking marijuana from November 2nd, 2014 to May 29th, 2015 in Jubilee Pocket. He also pled guilty to possessing marijuana, mobile phone use for trafficking, and a water pipe and scissors. Does scissors mean something, or does it just mean that he had supposed to have scissors? No, you're not supposed to run with them. Yeah, you don't run with them. Um, I didn't know it was illegal, though. Judge Deborah Richard said over the six-month period he bought 58 ounces of marijuana, sold it uh, about 24 ounces, and later worth $7,200 or $9,600. She said he had 17 clients. Defense barrister Scott McLennan and Gillum had been passionate about scuba diving, had spent several years training and studying to be an instructor. He said in 2009, Gilhan had undergone open-heart surgery to treat a cardiac condition. He was told he could no longer dive. He said that uh, year Gillum's marriage had fallen apart. He had started smoking marijuana regularly. He said any profits in trafficking had gone into his own drug consumption and living costs. Since his arrest, he has a new job, stopped smoking marijuana, has been declared fit to dive again. He is now employed and a valuable employee. They uh, said it wouldn't do him any good for uh, Gilham to serve any time in prison. He was sentenced to two years in immediate parole. We're missing something. It does. So he had a medical report where it said he couldn't dive and that he all of a sudden was doing, started doing marijuana. And then he cleaned up, and now he's fit to dive again? Well, I'm curious, you know, and, and because he stopped smoking and he's got a new job, he doesn't have to serve any time. So I, that's what I was curious about. Well, it works, and they are talking about decriminalizing. But then again, I don't think that meant when you're selling 58 ounces worth. Yeah, but is 58 ounce, I mean, as a non-dealer user, I don't know if 58 ounces is a lot or not. 58 ounces seems like a lot to me. Uh, it sounds like a lot until you see it was only worth like $7,200 or $9,600. Well, I'm sure there's some stoners out there who might give us a little heads yeah, up. Yeah, you could, you could <laughs> give us, send us to Priceless or, or something. Yeah, we're just curious. I mean, we're not interested. I have no idea what the picture with this is supposed to mean. I think that's just a photo he had. Because he sounds like he was an instructor. So whatever happened, and they don't go into any detail. We don't know if it was a medical condition. or they, Well, they said, uh, didn't they say something with his heart? Yeah. He said open heart surgery to treat a cardiac condition. Wow. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out what that picture had to do with the whole topic other than some monster fish looks like he's eating his bite. Yeah, I, I think it's just more a fact that the, the, they were talking about scuba diver and they actually had a photo of him diving. Ah. And then this next one, and hopefully I can stop it before... Yep, I got the sound down before it started. Right now, I'm in a commercial. How about you? Yeah, same thing. So, Scuba Diver finds himself in a real-life open-water moment. His, uh, the boat that he was off strayed, and a shark starts circling. 
the Florida man captured it in his GoPro camera. Randy Fails, 68, a satellite beach with scuba diving Sunday as he spearfished about 17 miles off the Florida coast near the Sebastian Inlet when he surfaced and discovered that not only were his boat and family gone. Now, this is his family. <laughs> wow. Uh, but sharks were uh, circling below. Did he just, like, renew his life insurance? <laughs> Was that what went on? I've been diving 35 years. The first time anything like this has ever happened, File said, who captured much of the terrifying experience on his camera. Because when you have a life or death situation, you want it, <laughs> you want it on film. That's the most important yeah. thing. Before diving into 90 feet of water, he dropped a yellow jug attached to a, a boat by parachute rope. Onto the reef, two of his daughters, one of the daughter's boyfriends, and several grandchildren were on the boat at the time. Scuba diver was carrying his gear, a GoPro, and a spear gun. So when he surfaced about 30 minutes of diving, he realized that likely because of windy conditions, the jug had drifted off the reef, pulling the boat with it. He said his family had not noticed, thinking the jug was still anchored in place. That's Duh. Well, is, is that like an... Well, one thing is it shouldn't keep it in place, but then also on a reef... Should you even be throwing something down there that's being dragged along the bottom? If it's that windy. So it's not exactly an exciting feeling, you know, when you realize there's no boat in the area. I was pretty confident there might be other boats in the area because of fairly common fishing. I did see a boat after 15 or 20 minutes. Val said he blew the whistle he was carrying and waved the bright yellow dive bag high over his head, using his spear gun to get the boat's attention. When the boat seemed to anchor a mile away, he started to swim towards it. And then the first shark appeared. He kept getting bolder, a little bolder, a little closer. The closest he got is he rubbed his leg with one of his pectoral fins. I would have gone into a little bit of defense mode, and he would have veered away. After an hour, the second shark showed up, joining the other and circling him. Each shark was about seven feet long, although he didn't know the species. He was certain they were neither tiger sharks nor great whites. Despite the shark's presence... Faust said that he did not load his spear gun or intend at any time to shoot either animal. They're such majestic animals to begin with. It was kind of cool seeing them and seeing them that close. I, I think fear would, would make me change my mind and I'd load the spear gun. Yeah, I, 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 it's hard to say if I wasn't in the situation. But I'm, I'm, if I thought that I was in uh, any sort of serious risk, you better believe that that spear is going to be used. It's better to pay the fine and be in jail than to be inside a shark. <laughs> yeah. When, uh, let's see, where does it talk about? After an hour and 20 minutes of treading water, he finally saw a boat coming his way. I said, boy, I'm glad to see you. Fowl said once he got on board, he was able to locate his daughters, who by then had sent a distress call to the Coast Guard. His daughter had timed him. As he entered the water, so he didn't appear, the family started looking for him. With nearly two hours had passed, he panicked. The Coast Guard was in the process of searching when Fowles approached on the boat. By then, his GoPro had died. He said today, he, the, uh, while the situation wasn't necessarily unique to divers, it does happen. It could un and he could understand why being stranded in water would be terrifying to others. It would be terrifying to me to help with others. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the guy in the water. What the sharks are playing? Why would they be? You know, I'm just curious about that. After two hours, they got concerned. Wait a minute, I'd have been concerned way before two hours, guys. Well, they didn't say if it was he a rebreather diver. I mean, if it was Bob, you know, two hours is a warm up. Yeah, but 
Nine feet, nah. Well, and this kind of goes back to you probably should add a dive flag. Well, I was also ninety feet. By the way, wouldn't they have a GPS location? And you'd notice your GPS was wow. How come my GPS says I'm two miles away? Did they say whose boat it was? Was it his or his kids? I don't know, but one would thought they'd had a GPS. Well, right, but, way, but you know, a lot of times, you know, say it's he's a diver. It makes sense. He has the boat. He brings the family out, has a nice day diving, and, you know, he's the captain of the boat, and he goes down, so maybe nobody else really had a lot of experience with the boat. Let me put it this way. When you get out the water and you're down, don't you leave somebody in the boat who knows how to, one, operate the boat so they can find you, which means knowing how to use the radio and how to use the GPS? (laughs) It would make sense. It would definitely make sense for that to be the case. How far offshore was he? 19 miles? Was that what he said? 19? I'm trying to figure out where how far off he was. Yeah, I've already closed. Yeah, 17 miles off the coast. So you can't see shoreline for a reference. Oh, that's what I was going to say. But 17 miles, I'm not swimming back to shore. Uh, No. And I definitely would have had somebody. I I think he. GPS, if you drift, let me know, guys. Well, it also sounds like he didn't have a safety sausage because he was trying to signal with his. Uh, catch bag. Yeah. Flailing in the water attracted the sharks. <laughs> Air splash a little bit more, sharky, sharky. Uh, yeah. A Tennessee aquarium partners with DEMA for a scuba diving event. What they're attempting to do is bring, is bring scuba diving classes to town. On June 4th and 5th, members of the community will take part in a free event that will teach a basics of scuba diving safety. The Go Dive Now pool will be held in the Chattanooga Market, which I'm assuming that's Chattanooga, Tennessee. The Tennessee Aquarium's Dive Safety Officer has been working with DEMA to bring the 15,000-gallon mobile pool to Chattanooga. People will be able to try the sport of scuba diving learn about the aquarium's volunteer dive program. It's a great way to experience the sport and gain a new perspective on the underwater world. Officials say the pool will be set up adjacent to the uh, Chattanooga, Chattanooga Market next to the first Tennessee Pavilion. Kids age 10 and up will be able to spend a little time on water, but kids 10 to 12 must be accompanied by adult. The event is free as part of World Ocean Day. Participants will need to bring their own swimsuit, a towel, but all the other equipment will be provided. Changing rooms will be available on site. Go Dive Now Pool will be open between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. on June 4th and from noon until 4 p.m. on June 5th. Divers can learn more at the... I would, I would search for it. <laughs> That URL is too long to read over the air. And what this sounds like is this is that DEMA pool, if you've been to a dive show, that tours around. So it must be they try and find things to do with it during the other times of the year. Yep, discover scuba. So it's a good chance. And and the, the aquarium, I, I wonder if they're having a hard time finding divers to volunteer to clean the aquarium. That's what's going on. Part of their motivation Possibly. And this next article was all over the internet, and I barely even was going to cover it because it just didn't seem to be that much of a story, but here it is. If I can read it. I got a big blank on mine. Oh, it it eventually came. It it, it did after 10 seconds, it will show. So what what they're talking about is they're... You there? Yeah. 
So the Andrea, the Andrea Doria, which sank just over six decades ago, in which 46 people died when it sank, uh, explorers are preparing, preparing to do what 16 people lost their lives attempting, and that's a good look at the wreck. Washington State-based Ocean Exploration Company is planning the first manned submersible expedition to the wreck in 20 years. Everett, Washington-based OceanGate will use its five-man submersible Cyclops next month in high-definition videos and 3D sonar images of the shipwreck technology never before used to study one of the most famous maritime disasters. The Andrew Doria stands out as a premier shipwreck in American waters. This according to Stockton, Russia Company's co-founder and chief executive officer. The wreck is in about 240 feet of water, 50 miles south of Nantucket, has for years attracted treasure hunting divers looking for money, China, and other artifacts from the bygone era, but 1600 died the most recent just last year. The wreck is considered to be the Mount Everest of scuba diving. I'm not quite sure it's the Mount Everest, but it's one of the ones that most people I know would like to get at least dove on years ago before it became a real wreck. Because it's only 225. That's doable on air back in the day. Yeah, I mean, that's what a lot of people were doing, weren't they, before Trimex yeah. started to become common? Yeah. Uh, part of it is the conditions, I think, that uh, the the current and the cold water. And, and the nets that have surrounded it. Oh, I've seen photos of it just and, covered. Yep, and then they've had several attempted salvages uh, where they actually had a, a bell or a habitat welded to the side of the hull to help them go in and get safes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd dive it. You know, I w- I'd bounce it just to say I've been there. <laughs> I would love to be trained enough to where I could feel like I've it. At, at this point in time, I I'm not. Boy, if it, if the opportunity came up, I would have to think about it strongly. Spots that I'd be interested in. Oh yeah, and Shed Aquarium, which is just. Not too far from us here. That's a Chicago Aquarium has got a rear look at shipwreck reef off the shore of Lincoln. For over a century, Tom's pro- And the pop-ups are getting really annoying. It used to be in the day that the pop-ups would just be ads. Now they got to automatically play video. Trolls. Uh, Shed Aquarium researchers reveal a rare underwater look at what they found, a rocky outcropping in the shore of Lake Michigan. Video shows teams of divers exploring the compressed remains of an uh, underwater coral reef at Morgan Shoal, just found a few hundred yards off the shore of Hyde Park. Morgan Shoal is most notably home to a ship that sank in 1914, which helped create the reef formed the shallow seas at the time, the research said. The 109-foot passenger steamer wrecked after hitting the rocks in the water, and because it was made out of wood, broke up, and, and after two to three days underwater, but the ship's iron boiler is still there. As you're diving up and down Lakeshore Drive, oh, as you're driving up and down Lakeshore Drive, the water lines are low enough you can actually see the remains of this shipwreck. Because most of Lake Michigan's bottom is made of sand and mud, the rocky outcrop spots create a unique habitat for hard-to-find creatures, including rare fish and prehistoric pods. I guess I'm not understanding the significance of this. Are they are they saying that the the shipwreck is the reef? That's what it sounds like. Because there's a lot of if you, I, I like diving in that area, if Chicago doesn't chase you away, 
but there's a lot of the the rock break walls, and those are almost like reefs. Fish absolutely love them. Doesn't say what ship it was either, does it? I'd be curious to know what ship they're talking about. Uh, I saw another article that talked about it. The uh, 109-foot passenger steamer. I'm going to call them the Reef Morgan Shoal. Uh, somebody will have to tell us. We could, we could look it up. Uh, I saw another article that talked about it, and it wasn't one that we've dove on. But you've got the material service barge. We've dove that one. Uh, and fish absolutely love it. Well, they got some time and some credit, so Morgan Shoal. That's an ent- I'll have to look that up. And then we have. I mean, it's, kind of, it's shallowed like that. It's beat all the hell by now. Oh yeah. Well, if you can see it in the when you're driving down Lakeshore Drive. Uh huh. I mean, the only other thing would be, did they just, there's a shipwreck there, so they just piled rocks on top of it. Makes you wonder. Ancient archaeologist finds ancient butchering site in Florida. They said tools and bones are, add to the evidence of pre-Clovis humans in America. Scuba diving archaeologists have unearthed the artifacts from a site that seems to indicate that there was a settlement where butchering was going on. Working in the murk of the river in Florida, the team found stone tools dating back to 14,550 years ago that could have been used to carve up ancient elephant-like beasts called mastodons whose remains have been recovered from the same site. Findings published today in Science Advances add to an ever-growing evidence that humans were living in much in the Americas well before the cultural group known as Clovis were present about 13,000 years ago. An alternative theory that Clovis group were the first Americans, but has been increasingly disputed. I think this paper is a triumph for underwater archaeology and yet another nail in the coffin for Clovis' first theory. Boy, doesn't that sound like an argument? <laughs> oh, yeah. You got one group says one thing and one the other, and they're just working as hard as they can to prove each other wrong. Well, you know, whatever expert you can find, I can find one for the opted. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is they're saying... I mean, is the name, they just made it up? I mean, does Clovis have a specific name? I'm sure to a researcher it does. Well, when we were going to those uh, classes Mm -hmm. or presentations last month, and she was saying a lot of times the name comes from either the individual who discovered it, because they get to name it, or it is a name of something related to the discovery itself. Well, sometimes it'll be the location or they'll take a, a local landmark and then apply that landmark name to the people. But I, I find this stuff interesting. I just brought this one up because it was underwater. And as we know, anything's better if it's underwater. I always like to see, you know, how long have humans been on the Earth? And some people say a million years ago, and you just haven't found the remains which you're finding implements that indicate civilization was way, way, way advanced a long time ago. Yeah. <clears throat> so everything they're using now is 10, 15,000. Yeah. Is really a, a small part. Something traumatic happened hundreds of thousands of years ago. We basically came back from that. Yeah, there's many uh, opportunities for 
man to mess itself up. I mean, you look at humans compared to other animals, we're pretty fragile. You ever watch that show, Naked and Afraid? Actually, we were talking about that tonight. It's like, my understanding is each person gets to select one tool. Yes. Okay. And the other part is, if they're going to be naked and afraid, why can't you show the picture? Oh, why they can't they show them naked? Yeah, since, you know, I always use a little bit of fuzziness across oh, yeah. there. But, you know, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't do that anyway because I'm not going to be in the jungle naked. I'm, <laughs> something about little little creatures in my inner yes. parts of my anatomy, <laughs> I, that's just not something I'm interested in. See, I don't think it should be called Naked Afraid. I think it should be called Naked and Starving. Because all oh, but yeah. maybe three shows I've seen of that, that's what happens. Yeah. And somebody's always getting hurt on that one oh, and yeah. almost dead. It's a good weight loss program, I will say that. Yes, yeah. The 21 days later and 30 pounds lighter. Yeah, but, you know, it's like if I walk out my front door and I slip and fall and I've got clothes on, it's like, oh, you just feel stupid. You do that without clothes on, and you've ripped something open. <laughs> yeah, more so than, than concrete road rash. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, – but I it, it is an entertaining show. It's one of my wife's favorites. She's really got that one on. Yes. Yeah, my wife happened to mention that one to me. She says, I don't understand that. If they're going to show it and, and, you know, what's a big thing if they don't show everything? Um, I, what the, I think what happens is once the show gets canceled and it's over with, then I think what they're going to do is, uh, is have the unedited version. Now I did, <laughs> I did watch one where it said uncensored, but it wasn't uncensored. Uh, they, they have done a spoof every once in a while. They'll have, uh, they had a comedian on once for themselves and, and that was kind of entertaining. Yeah. I'm, I'm always curious. What did the cameraman wearing? <laughs> He's got mosquito nets. He's got bug repellent. He's eating a he's eating a sandwich. Yeah, he's got like a little lawn chair. Yeah, now that's the job would be bad to have. The cameraman? I don't know. I was watching uh, a different survival show on TV just this last week, and I the the whole thing I was thinking of is that. The, the the survivalist was moving at such a pace that he was having yeah you know, and this it was a fairly well known survivalist he was having a hard time keeping up and then I'm thinking how about the camera guy who has to go set the shot up in advance and then follow the guy the whole time well there was one I can't think of the guy's name I've seen him before he did his own videos yes and to me he did the one that's like three days of this. Oh, yeah. I like this because you could learn something from it other than I don't think I want to do this. Yeah, I, I know who you're talking about. And I right, remember no, watching one I, episode where he set the camera up and he yeah. says, I'm so sick and tired of recording. He says, I'm leaving the camera. They can come back and get it. And yeah. that's the last shot is him walking like a mile away from the camera. I've seen a couple of them. And those to me were not uh, what, what are they, these realistic shows or what do they call them all? Uh, a reality TV? Yeah, I hate that because it's not. It's staged. Oh, no. No, reality TV is, is, is where they tell you, they go, okay, guys, uh, that was good, but what if you could, you did this? Could you try that for us? Yeah, a little more drama and, yeah. and controversy. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I liked it when you called her a so-and-so. Could you do that again? 
Right. Now, the reality one we're talking about with this one guy, that was interesting because it was good survival tips because you really got to see how to do it, what he did to keep yourself alive. See, maybe I enjoyed the heck out of that one. We need to do Naked and Afraid Divers Edition. Nah. <laughs> nah, I don't think so. Well, that does it for scuba in the news. We, we went through other those. Than, other than. Other than what? The name of that ship is called the Silver Spray. Silver Spray? And, yep. They said on July 15th, 1914, almost an exactly a year before the Eastland disaster, the uh, Silver Spray ran aground on Morgan Shoal just a few hundred feet off High Park, 49th Street Beach. So that was a 109-foot passenger steamer. It was on the way to pick up 200 University of Chicago students and take them to Gary, Indiana to tour the steel mills. The marvels of the Gary Steel Mill. Yep. Which in the day, I bet that had to be pretty impressive to think of uh, what they're doing, taking all that ore and making steel out of it. Well, they got a, they got a picture guy of a guy here with the snorkel and mask sitting on the boiler. And in the background, you can see the silhouette of the uh, Chicago. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But again, reef, I'm trying to figure this out, why that's such a big deal. Yeah. And uh, well, let's uh, go dip into the mailbag. We had Rod from New Zealand, a frequent Yay, contributor to the show. He uh, uh, said he sent me a photo without any explanation. A friend of mine, Matt Carter, a marine archaeologist, is currently looking for photos and videos of wrecks, but especially those in the Great Lakes. He'll take photos and run them through an uh, amazing program in uh, La Trobe University in Australia. The program produces 3D images from the photos and a copy of which he will send back to the provider. He says, I know you like your wrecks when you have time to get out and get wet. Any photos of you and, and of your friends would be most appreciated. Send them to... Um, Let's see. I'll say this, uh, but we'll, we'll have to put something on the website, which means I'll have to actually update the website. One eight three four seven seven two one one at students dot latrobe l a t r o b e dot edu dot au. Uh, a similar project was recently discussed in Scuba Diving Magazine, and then he also provided us a link to that article. And I know what he's talking about. I, I played around a little bit with some of the software. And while it sounds easy, it definitely takes some time to tune it. So that's the value. If you have somebody who's tuned the software and has, has got all the settings just right, then you can do some amazing things. So I, what they're getting at would be kind of like uh, what we almost need to do is have, is have Jim send him links of his, uh, what do you call those, 30-second dives or three-minute dives? Jim Schultz took his GoPro camera and he, he would go over the wreck. So I think that you just do snippets, you mean? Yeah, well, he would do just kind of like a flyover a rack. Yeah, and I think that's what they're looking at here. Is if you had that that video, enough of those frames, and you you cover it, it's able to do this piecing together and make a three D model out of it. Yeah. Did you get the item I just sent you? Uh, somewhere under the layers, probably have. I just sent it just a moment ago. Yeah, and this is that article out of <laughs> yeah, Scuba Diving I, Magazine. That's uh, 3D modeling used to study and measure. And the pictorial they have is really nice. It's uh, NOAA's Thunder Bay National Marine Society, uh, Sanctuary, mm-hmm. and it's a good shot of the Wingate. 
And there's been some articles on this because they went up to did a special review of all the wrecks up there in Thunder Bay to do this particular item, to record them. So when they talk about preservation, the only way you're going to preserve it is just like this. Take pictures of the way it really was. So then 20 more years when it collapses, you know what it really did look like on the bottom 20 years before. Yeah, and here they're talking about the 123D catch program, which is a... uh Autodesk piece of software, but there's some other software that's equally as good, and uh, there's some open source projects where people have documented, you know, how you get the photos together, how you put them in, how you tune it, but it is some work. So it would be one of those things, if you were into documenting wrecks, it'd be great, it'd be nice to have one or two people uh, who are interested in shipwrecks do this, which it sounds like this gentleman is volunteering. Well, there's some of this is going to be quite interesting from the aspect, like uh, we'll use MaxRec, mm-hmm. the SANREC. They've got ground-penetrating sonar slash radar that will help give you visualizations of like we're getting here, but it's under the ground, under the surface. Yes. So you could actually map that wreck and go from the you know from the uh, anchor all the way through the nose, the chain locker back to the, the stern part and see what's really down there without having to excavate the sand. So so all the big gold bullions and stuff would shut. And then we'd know whether or not we have to keep our mouth shut and go get it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So if we say we're going to do that and then we don't talk about it for six months, then you know that we found all that big bucket of gold. Uh, no, if future broadcast begins in the Bahamas on an island – only with a couple of people who live there, you'll know we found the fucking thing. <laughs> so thank you, Rod, for sharing that with us. And any listeners who want any more information, you can send us an email at uh, or at on on the email address is the show at scubaobsessed.com. You can also visit our website, which someday I will get around to updating, www.scubaobsessed.com. We're on Twitter, at ScubaObsessed, where we have a news feed, and we're on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash ScubaObsessed. See, I can say it, too. I'd like to thank WRVO Radio for putting us on the air for another season. WRVO Radio or RenoViolaOutdoors.com. If you like hunting, fishing, anything in the great outdoors, he's probably got a program for you. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Constantly streaming. That's a lot of information. I bet you never get bored. You know, Americans ought to be really, really put out here. We're getting more response from people who do not (laughs) live in this country than we are of people who live here. Well, we did have our guest in the the chat room tonight. We had a new guest in there. We'll call him guest number three. Uh, from Milwaukee, and uh, so we we do have some. So, but it is true. It seems like we have quite a bit of involvement from our our foreign correspondent. So, if you have anything you want to share, go ahead and drop us a line. Oh, absolutely! With pictures, pictures, pictures always go well. Uh, and then, as I've said, now that I'm out of robotic season, at least temporarily, I'm hoping to catch up. Got to mow my lawn. Uh, let's see, we had a mud club meeting this week. Yes, we did. Michigan Underwaters Diving Club had their monthly meeting, and it was nice for everybody to get back together. It's certainly getting the diving season. Sounds like Bob is out of his uh, outage timeline and what the outage yes. is. 
is a nuclear plant does maintenance and it's kind of all hands on deck when they shut the plant down and do repairs. So uh, when it's not an outage, it means you may have some time to be able to do something else. So uh-huh. he he is talking about going out and doing some diving. Now you've been doing diving um, since last week. W- where did you get to go? Well, for one, hopefully we're going to get to do the uh, Havana this weekend. Yes. Because uh, I know you you said you're game to go, I'm game to go, and uh, I'm good for Saturday. What about yourself? I still have to get cleared, so I by no means want anybody to schedule around me because it's we're, we're in this end of the school year time of the year where I think I have a day free and then I discover I've got four things on it. I do know that the June 4th is way out for me. I like everything going on that weekend, but I'm hoping that this weekend, this one, this one might be the prime weekend if I can get it blessed and approved. Uh, I know that June 4th, I will be in Thornton Quarry. Where's that? Do you know when you go to Chicago and you pass over that huge holding ground? Yes. That's called Thornton Quarry. Uh, It takes you about three, maybe four years to get a ticket. Uh, so I went, four years ago and signed up again because I knew I'd want to go. Mm-hmm. And that's one that uh, you, I've been looking for a trilobite. Yes. You know what a trilobite is, oh, right? yeah, certainly. And after you do your, your tour, they'll let you go for, I think, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, some of the rock piles. Then you take your hammer and your little bag and you go see what you can find. Mm. And I had one of, I came back with, I bet, 20 pounds of rocks. Then I went over to my nephew's and we broke those little suckers and looked for all sorts of stuff. We had a great time. <laughs> Yeah, I've always wanted to have a, a trilobite, too. I had a teacher when I was in second grade who had one, and it was, like, perfect. In fact, it was so perfect, you'd almost swear it was fake. Yeah. Well, what people don't realize is that was a, a tropical ocean mm-hmm. eons ago. Yeah. So people talking about global warming, come on, people. That was a freaking tropical sea, and that, you know, is, <laughs> like, 500 feet deep. Right. That's how much sediment has it collected over the eons. Yes. When that place with the tropical sea. So it's like we've been there before. Some recent time is 10,000 years ago. We had ice here. It's going to happen again, people. It moves in cycles. Things change. The planet has a way of fixing itself. And the planet could care less about us as humans. It's going to move through its cycle. And what can ever survive on the planet is what's going to survive on the planet. And that that mix changes. And uh, right now we happen to have, be an unusual time, when you look at the way the continents are structured. I mean, it it moves very slowly to us. But you've got North America and South America, where we pretty much took what had been one big global ocean with currents moving at will, and it's really separated it apart. So just... Certain certain things will happen. Yeah. Well, let's see what else do we have. Today's water temperature. Today's water temperature did yes. not need gloves. Oh. Uh, sixty three. Believe it or not, sixty three on the surface. Hit the thermocline. Got a little chilly real quick. Uh, we had two wet suitors and uh, what? Two dry suitors. Three dry suitors tonight. Uh huh. And no, I take the back. Three wet suitors. And two dry suitors and one surface support. Visibility, 
three, maybe four feet, depending on where you're at and who you're following. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was a good time. Well, we're, we're starting I, I to hit so. that, that time on the inland lakes where algae is getting ready. Uh, yes. Uh, we I've hit uh, with, with uh, Kevin. We did Woods Lake again. Uh-huh. Uh, last time we dove it, we had like 15 or 20 foot. The last time I dove it with him, we had 10 or 12. And the, the only a week between it, the algae blooms have started and the weeds, I swear, grew a foot. Yeah, weeds once they get going. And, and that's... Now, do the weeds actually help the visibility at all, other than you can't see through this? Well, when you get mail foil, and we don't have it now, uh, here at the, the uh, pawpaw, I think visibility this week was better because last week, if you had two feet, you were, you were happy. But the weed levels have been uh, really curtailed with that treatment they've been doing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more easy grubbing to go than there used to be. Yeah, something that they need to look at is, yeah, okay, you can kill the weeds, but if you kill the weeds, you haven't pulled the nutrients out that the weeds are are feeding off of. Yeah, and now they they are aerating a couple of the bays there. Yes, because I, I flew over them the day, took some pictures, and uh, you can see the plumes where some of the siltiest parts are. They're trying to uh, get rid of some of the silt and get more vegetation and more animal life. Okay, well, that's a good idea. Yeah, they're oxygenating it pretty good. Yeah, because we've put a lot, as, you know, if you want to talk about what man does, is used to have soft edges to these lakes and swamps. So yeah. when it rained, it just didn't run right on into the lake. Well, now we fertilize our lawns, we have glass, grass clippings, we've got trash, and then you've got a parking lot which runs right on into the lake. So we're, we're pretty good at adding a lot of nutrients right into the water. Well, the seawalls have really messed up the ecology of the lake to begin with because that affects both the, the aquatic and the, the, the waterborne life because of ease of entry and exit used to be there. You'd have the uh, moderating effect of a shoreline as opposed to straight concrete wall. Oh, the yeah. waves bounce off and creates different patterns. Mm-hmm. So we've not – I understand why we did certain items, but collectively long-range – it's not the best thing we could have done. No. And uh, talking about, um, you know, the water level is up in Lake Michigan. I went and did a little survey on some of the cliffs again, the bluffs. Yeah. And even though we may not have had high impact of waves on the base of the cliffs, they've had a lot of erosion on some of those cliffs, that, the ones that had ladders from the top all the way down. Mm-hmm. There's a significant number broken in half now. Or you can see where they had a landslide or a mudslide. So the ladders are gone or their stairways. Oh, yeah. A lot of those are gone. And then the further down past Grand Mirror, there's a lot of encroachment there I have not seen before. Uh, I'll have to to take a look again. Um, So if you haven't had the opportunity to go out in Lake Michigan, you know, we've we've got these ports. You've got New Buffalo. You've got St. Joe. You've got South Haven. And these are where rivers come out into Lake Michigan and usually have this, you know, beach and different varying degrees of, uh, of hills. But once you get away from those ports, the cliffs can be, what, 150, 200 feet high? Would you say, Mac? Uh, yeah. Enough that they used to do soaring in the older days, in the 20s and 30s, along this, because you'd had enough cliff and wind coming up. You could slope soar 
with yeah. gliders. Yeah, so what you have these cliffs, and this not cliff of stone, it's really sand. Yeah. And what will happen is it doesn't take a lot of erosion at the bottom of a 150-foot cliff for things to start sliding down. Plus, what most people don't realize is water will travel. So you have, you know, you have a rain, you know, inland, and it will actually create this hydraulic pressure, and it will blow out sides of those cliffs, and you get those landslides. Or you'll find that little V at the top. By the time it got down to the bottom, it's a big V. Yes. And, and the V collapses. So I like... Pardon me? I see. I can post a picture or two. Yeah. I, I love just when we're out in the boat. You know, usually I'm, I'm not driving the boat most of the time. And I get to look and see uh, all these homes that are on the water. And you have this big... You know, of course, when you build a million-dollar home, you want it to be right on the edge. And then you'll see all these uh, steps that people will build down. And it doesn't take too many years. You're just borrowing it. You don't really own it. There's a couple of really, really nice ones up there on the bluffs now. But they were a little smarter. They backed their homes back away from the edge. And they made like a terrace, yes. like a S-curve down, paved mm-hmm. it. And they've got some huge concrete barriers at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, several million dollars in... In concrete work. But the nice thing that they did there, at least for them, is it provided a way of getting access because they're coming down those terraces. Right. And they made it so it's a road to take your golf cart down. Yep. So if you're hauling your dive gear, you don't have to uh, <laughs> kill yourself going up and down. Yeah. We just need one of those to sponsor a dive club. There's a couple of those those uh, step or stairways that are actually rails. And they had a cable that would run a trolley car down and mm-hmm. up. Now that's what you want. On the inland lakes, my uh, mother-in-law and brother-in-law, they have property. And uh, what they've done is they actually, if they're going to do steps, they'll suspend it. They'll be attached to the top and they'll be attached to the bottom. But they're freestanding, so they don't need any support from the top to the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that would be kind of similar to like a rail system if you had enough strength to be able to do it because it's that sand and everything's constantly shifting. Well, we are in that time of year, so if you haven't gotten a chance to go scuba dive, I don't know. You must be like me and just too damn busy. I need to get out. I am so far behind. Uh, gosh, I'll have, to, I'll have to get it cleared. I have to get it cleared. I only need to get my gear wet before it disintegrates. And even if you don't get in the big lake, hey, let's go back out to Pawpaw. Yeah, I'm getting a point now, though, where it's like, you know, I, w- I want that big dive. I, I, w- I want Lake Michigan. I'm ready for Lake Michigan. Well, if you hadn't been diving, you might not be ready for Lake Michigan. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel pretty, I feel like that's a nice starter wreck, the uh, hey, Havana. Well, it's, it's shallow enough, but what's funny is I had my regulator on my rig tonight. Uh-huh. Turned that little sucker on, first aid blue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I'm glad it happened on this, and not immediately. I had a pressurize. I'm getting other stuff ready. And all of a sudden, ho-woom. Wow. So well, I had a backup, of course, so I just took a couple of hoses off, put it on my backup. Wow. But I'm glad it happened there as opposed to, you know, 20, 30 feet down. Yeah, that's an indication that it's not a bad idea to keep gear serviced. 
reminds me I got to pick up a tank from the dive shop yet. So maybe that'll be my my trip for tomorrow. Well, do you have anything you want to plug? Oh no, nothing really. I do know I'd like to get to some quarries this year. I saw the wrecking. Bob got uh, to the uh, for the Gilboa meet. He got to that one. That was a great time. Yeah, Great Lakes uh, Wrecking Crew was meeting at Gilboa. They had their spring dive, which we talked about in the show last week, and they'll have a. Don't they have one in the fall? Yes, um, I'd like to get the White Star. Yes, yeah, that White Star is definitely on the bucket list for this season. White Star Quarry, our dive friend Rich Sinewick of Diver Sink, Divers Incorporated, and the manages a concession at White Star. Be nice to see him. I did convert something today. I uh, used a new technique. I was out in metal detecting again. And so what I did, I took one of those baby uh, goodie bags, the canvas ones with the net on the bottom. Yes. Or the grommets. And this is, I got it from, from them. And it's uh, also got Velcro on the sides, so it's small. And if you need it, you undo the Velcro and it excuse me, expands out. So like we did on the shark tooth one, I went ahead and mounted it on my chest. And put the the rings on you know on my harness, connected connectors from the bag to the D ring, so it's right on my chest. So as I'm on my belly, I don't have to look for my goodie bag dragging behind me. All I do is open the mouth, start shoving the stuff in as I find it. Ah, I yeah. use that to, and you still got to get a little used to okay, where are your buttons and your your regs, and how do you get the other you know items that you might need? It worked out really good. So I have me a new technique I'll be using when I'm out there medley detecting. Yeah, because that's what I would call the uh, the megalodon uh, technique, where you've got it yeah. right there in your chest. So as you're sco- uh, scooting through the gravel and you come across the the hard, sharp, long sides, you can drop them in your bag. Yeah, it worked out really well. I, I'm going to have to make sure I'm not having any snag hazards like that. But yeah. it worked really well tonight. Because I'm trying to, anytime I pick up crap when I'm detecting, I need to put it back in the pouch so I don't refind it next week. Yes. I so think my so. Intent, whatever I find goes in the pouch, so at least it's clean. Yeah, that's what I do with the glass bottles, too, is I just, if I feel if I leave them out there, I'm just going to rediscover them the next week. That's right. We did tonight. I, I haven't posted any pictures or anything, but like a well point, I don't know what the hell that's doing way out in the middle of the lake laying up <laughs> Well, you know what the well point was? Somebody's ice spud. Very possibly. Yeah, somebody, you know, either that or they actually drove it into the ice to use it as a spud, you know, uh, to hold an ice shanty in place. Yeah. And then they didn't care when it melted. Yeah. Anyway, we anything we found today, we brought up and we put in the trash. We we did good today. Good. No hutchies or anything like that, though, darn oh. it. Ten cans and beer bottles. And so nothing from the Wajak. Nothing from the Wajak. We're looking for some good milks for that guy. Yeah, that'd be nice. Well, I think we are getting to that time of the show. Yes, sir. If you are ready. I am ever ready. Okay. In an insane asylum, three scuba-obsessed diving patients are up for release. 
The doctor decides to give them an intelligence test. He turns to the first diver and asks, What's three times three? 274, he replies. The doctor asks the second diver, What's three times three? Tuesday, replies the second diver. The diver turns, uh, the doctor turns to the third diver, Okay, your turn. What's three times three? Nine, says the third diver proudly. That's great, says the doctor. How did you arrive at that? Simple, the third diver says. I subtracted 274 from Tuesday. I have some friends like that. <laughs> Do they have regulators? <laughs> so, on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. been completed.